How are you guys doing today? Awesome. Awesome. If you brought your Bibles, you can open them to Mark chapter 4. So uh, uh, every year we spend some time in, in one of the Gospels of Jesus. Uh, every fall we kind of come around this idea of, uh, of Gospel and, and uh, look at the different teachings of Jesus. We're in Mark right now. This is our fourth week. And uh, uh, we've looked at the mystery of Jesus and the, the authority of Jesus. Last week we talked about the, the story uh, of the paralyzed man who's lowered through the roof with some friends. And Jesus reads the thoughts of the, of the kind of a scouting party from the synagogue, the Sanhedrin. He knows what's in their hearts. So this week, uh, um, in, in classic Adam style... I did not leave myself nearly enough time to talk about what I need to talk about today. So uh, we, we have chapter 4 kind of, kind of before us, uh, and really, honestly and truthfully, I see at least three, maybe four really good sermons uh, in, in chapter 4, but I only gave myself one week. Um, so today I'm going to go really fast, Okay. <laughs> Really fast, and uh, in just a minute we'll read some of the scripture. But but today it's gonna it's gonna look like this. Um, we're gonna talk about Radnor Lake. We're gonna talk about math homework, hearing aids, and heart conditions. All right, can you handle this? Are you ready? Are you buckled in? Got your got your 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 listening ears on. Good. Let's start in Mark chapter four, verse one. We'll read about the first, uh, I don't know, maybe 13 verses, and then we'll spend some time talking. It says, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, he says. Whenever he says listen, you should pay attention. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60 and even a hundred times as much as what had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secret, the mystery, the mysterion of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. And when they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? So in Mark chapter 4, Jesus begins to speak and teach in parables. In chapter 4, there's, there's three parables about seeds, 
seeds sprouting. There's a parable about mustard seed. Uh, there's a parable about a farmer who scattered seed and the seed sprouts and grows and leaves pop out of the ground, but he doesn't know how this happened. And then there's the parable that we just read about a farmer who spread seed and lands on four different kinds of soil. But before we get to the parables, we need to go back to that very first verse in chapter 4 because there's something there for us to see. The very first verse of chapter 4 says, Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into the boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. Okay, do you see it? There's a deep theological truth in this verse. Do you see it? That's okay, I didn't see it either. I didn't see it. I didn't see it right away. Um, but it's right there in that very first sentence. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. Now remember, this is a primarily Jewish community, Jewish nation, uh, and uh, the the expected appropriate place of teaching. If you want to have a, have a theological discussion or if you want to present some teaching about God or, or some explanation about Torah, if you want to talk about life in general, there is a place for that. And it's the synagogue. That is where teaching happens. And the fact that Jesus is teaching by the lakeshore is a big deal. And I, and I missed it. Do you, did you miss it too? Even in, uh, in Mark, in chapter 2, the very first place Jesus goes, in Mark's account of Jesus' life, the very first place that Jesus goes to teach is the synagogue, because that's where you go. That's where you go to get teaching and hear about God and learn about God. That's where teachers go. That's where, where people who want to learn about God go to learn about God. And yet, Jesus in Mark does something completely radically different on, on purpose. Jesus, not long after going to the synagogue, also begins to teach in people's homes, even the homes of sinners. And Jesus teaches on the road, and here we have an example of Jesus teaching on the lake shore, maybe the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I have a picture of it because I think it's awesome and beautiful, and isn't that amazing? But the fact that he is not where he is supposed to be is, is an incredible message to us. Because in the history of the church, uh, uh, something um, tragic happened. When the church moved from homes and communities and, and, and house churches and gatherings of people who called themselves the church, even before the church, they called themselves the way. Uh, when, when all of that, at some point in history, the people who were the church were living out the mission of the church in their homes, decided, you know, we should build a church building. And when that happened, something it, it entered into Christianity, this flaw, this flawed way of thinking began. You probably said it this morning. Come on, kids, get up, wake up. It's time to go to, what'd you say? It's time to go to church, right? Because like the Jews with the synagogue, we associate location, a destination, an 
address with church. But when Jesus leaves the synagogue and goes into people's homes and is still spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, when he goes into the street and when he goes to the lake shore spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, what's he telling us about church? Maybe church is not a destination. But maybe church is a life mission. You see how that works. Now think again about this synagogue for just a minute. The synagogue is filled with rabbis and teachers and scholars and wise people, good, God-fearing people. And if the synagogue is filled with such good, godly people, who is probably not there? Who's not going to show up at the synagogue? A lot of people, right? The outsiders, the sinners, those who know they're not worthy. And Jesus makes a really intentional step by going to the lakeshore. Who does he go to? By going to the lakeshore, he goes to the ones that would have never come into the doors of a church building. Are you with me? The good news of Jesus Christ is good news because it is for everyone. And that is something even in North America Day that churches miss. Do you see? We miss this. That church and the good news of Jesus Christ is supposed to be lived out. This, is, uh, this, this building is not our church. Church exists among us, in between the people that are here. And it, we are only the church when we share that good news with others. We've talked about changing the address of our church before. Have you heard that language? The address of this building is 274 Mallory Station Road, Franklin, Tennessee, but that is not the address of our church. Are you with me? We have outside groups come in and use this building all the time and use this space, and they say, well, we'd like to rent your, we'd like to rent your church. And I tell them, the church owns this building, but the church is not this building. Are you with me? Are you following along here? And so a lot, so much of what Jesus does just by going to the lakeshore should give you and I permission to go outside of these doors, right? To take the mission of Christ to those who need it most. The people of the synagogue are shocked and stunned when Jesus, when Jesus goes to Levi's house. And it says there were many sinners like him, tax collectors and crooked people that were a part of his numbers. And going to the lakes where Jesus reached a people that a building, a destination never could. And so the very first part of this, I know no one highlights verse 1. But the, the first teaching for today is for you to go to the lakeshore. If Jesus were here today, physically, uh, in, in person with us, which church in Franklin do you think he'd be preaching at? Lakeshore. Uh, which one? Lakeshore. Um, I don't know. Everybody's a comedian. Um, No, I mean, would he, would he be at Brentwood Baptist? Because that's the biggest and the best. Would he be at the small, struggling CFCs or, 
or at uh, what was previously People's Church, but now it's Church of the City? Or would he be on a park bench on the trail at Radnor Lake? Do you see the incredible permission that Jesus gives us? The incredible example he gives us when he teaches from the lake shore. So as you leave today, I want you to see your office space differently. I want you to see your own home differently. Maybe even your car. Because church is not a destination, but a mission to be lived. Let's keep going. In the radical way he is, he's teaching from the shore, and it says in verse 2, it says he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables. And uh, so I want to talk about parable for a minute, and then we'll actually, at the end, we'll, we'll get to the meaning of the parable. Um, a parable is, is, is a story. It, it is, it is a, a, a comparison. Jesus will frequently say, the kingdom of heaven is like, and and parables are never intended to be these deep kind of, uh, of theological things that, that are, are the source of great debate and, and great discussion. Uh, parables probably, we, we think that Jesus' teachings and parables probably happen spontaneously. It's not like he, he sat around and he prepared, well, you know, the the. The kingdom of heaven is like a, man, what can I say? What can I think? You know, it's not like he had detailed notes. What I want you to see is that Jesus is in a boat just off the shore talking to people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And as he's looking up, like see that hillside, see the farmland that's right there. Jesus looks out and says, you know, the kingdom of God, it's, it's kind of like that farmer over there. You see how obvious it is. Jesus uses the, the natural and the mundane to explain the kingdom of God. Now, I know you know that, but you've probably also been taught that Jesus somehow uses parables to confuse or, or veil or hide the meaning of things. Have you ever heard this kind of teaching before? Have you heard this? That, 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 that parables are, man, there's this... Uh, because if, it, if it's that easy, how come, how come people just don't understand it? How come people don't get it? Look at a, 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 maybe a good example of this is verses 10 through, uh, 10 through 13 or 9 through 13. Jesus is going to say, after he tells the parable, it says, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with others who were gathered around, they asked him, What? the parables meant? That's an interesting question because Jesus is using the kind of mundane things of life, right? They would have been really aware of seeds and farmers and nets and fish. Like these, these aren't uncommon things, but still they don't, they don't seem to understand. Um, and Jesus replied, I'll go back. Jesus replied, you are permitted to understand the secret. There's that word mystery, though in Greek it is the word mysterion. Uh, even there, the word mystery is, it's not something that is unknowable or something that's, that's necessarily veiled or hidden. It's just something that you, you kind of get indoctrinated to. It, it's something that, that God reveals. And so again, you almost can kind of get that sense of, man, are, are things hidden here but he says, you are permitted to understand 
the secret of the kingdom. You're permitted to understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. But again, okay, so here, here we go again. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders. Some say in Mark that uh, 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 Jesus is speaking in parables, and Mark's use of Jesus' parables is because they're in Rome, and, and if Rome hears about a new kingdom coming or something like that, they're going to they're gonna jump in and kill. So parables are a way of kind of, kind of disguising this message, and there, there'll be some that get it and some that don't get it, and that's okay. And look what he says in verse 12 uh, to, to kind of, it almost seems to verify this point of, of being concealed or hidden. Verse 12 says, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He quotes Isaiah chapter 6. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When, when they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. So can you see how some people look at parables of Jesus and say, oh, man, these are you know, these are, these are deeply theological things, and, and you got to work really hard to, to understand them. But see, I, I think that teaching is, is all wrong, and I want to offer you a, a, a different perspective. Um, the point I'm going to try to argue is that it is not the parables of Jesus that are difficult to understand, but there is something happening that causes us to not understand. Uh, I, I think uh, what I'm going to argue is that Jesus is, is using parables so that you will understand. But something prevents it in some people. Yeah, and you'll see this all through Mark. Sometimes people get it and sometimes they really don't get it. Even, even the disciples who are supposed to get it sometimes don't get it. But my, what I want to argue is that's not Jesus' intent. Jesus' intent, even in Mark, in telling all the parables, is for you to understand the kingdom of God. Jesus' intent is for you to understand the mystery of God. Like, you can, you can understand this, but there, if you don't understand it, there's something else happening. And that's what I want to talk about. Um, so let's talk about math homework. Clearly the next step. I have a seven-year-old daughter. Her name is Harper. Um, she's way smarter than me. Um, this past week, she was, uh, came home and, uh, and had her homework. She had her math worksheet. And in her worksheet, she does all kinds of things, addition and subtraction and all kinds of math problems. Uh, we're still in a fairly easy place that I can, help, I can be helpful with. Um, and a part of her homework, it was to... Uh, to begin with a number and then uh, add five, five times. And, and so the first problem was beginning with 40, uh, add five. And so 40, you know, we, we did the, you know, what's 40 plus five? Kind of multiples of five. Are you with me? So we, we did 40 and 45 and 50, 55, you know, 60. You know, we kind of did that. And then she called me over from the kitchen. She said, Dad, I, I don't know how to do this next one. They haven't taught us how to do this yet. And I said, okay, well, I'll come over there. And it was, that same, uh, it was the same problem of, of multiples of five, except this time start with the number 89. And uh, she said, Dad, they haven't taught us this yet. And I, I said, honey, this is the exact same thing you just did with 40. You just add five. I, I said, Harper, what's... What's 89 plus 5? You know this. You can do this. What's, what's 80, 89 plus 5? And, and she kind of tilted her head, 
and she looked to the right, and she kind of looked to the left, and then her eyes got really wide, like, okay, she got it. She figured this out. Her eyes got really wide. She looked up with me with a big wide eye and a big smile, and she said, 40. <laughs> and I said, no, honey. <laughs> no. I said, what is 89 plus 5? And she said, I don't know. I don't know. And, and uh, am I the only parent that's ever experienced this? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, there was something that happened. Uh, there's no physical switch there, but, but her brain turned off. You know, I saw it happen. Ha- have, has this ever happened to you? Um, I know our joy group refers to these moments as senior moments, but you don't have to be a, we don't, you don't have to be a senior for, for this to happen. Um, have you ever uh, uh, forgotten to turn the stove off or forgotten your own cell phone number? Or, or have you ever left your garage door open? Or, or have you ever um, got halfway to work only to realize that you have forgotten some article of clothing? Uh, you know, are you with me? Um, uh, again, man, I, can't, I don't want to name any names, but one of your illustrious leaders, godly men, uh, here at Aspen Grove, we went to an event with, with all of our elder shepherds together, and uh, uh, we got out of the car to walk into this event as, as a group of elders, only to realize that one of our, again, godly, illustrious men, I would never speak poorly of them, um, <clears throat> was wearing two different shoes. Have you ever had these moments that, that your brain just kind of turns off? It, it Just like my daughter's homework, she just kind of got to this point and, you know, her brain said, you shall not pass. You know, like this is as far as I'm going. I, I can't go any further. And I think that is what Jesus is running into. It's not that the parables are difficult to understand. It's not that, that Jesus' teaching is, is too big or too difficult or too wide for us to wrap our brains around it, but there is something that is turned off in us. It's not the, the one who is delivering the parable or the parable itself, but it is something in our reception of it. Jesus is going to say time and time again, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. He says that a bunch. But we know this is not a a hearing problem, right? I mean, they heard. Even last week in the story of the uh, of the man who the paralyzed man who was lowered down through the roof, we know that that the scouting party from the synagogue, the local rabbis and brilliant theologians and scholars of the day, were right there on the front row. And even though Jesus was speaking to them, what was happening? It's just bouncing off, right? Like somehow it's not it's not getting in. But there are other people sitting right next to them that are that are getting every bit of it. Have you seen this happen? And Jesus, I, I think, is, is not speaking out of frustration when he's saying, they see what I do and they learn nothing. These people are so dull, dim-witted. I, I don't think he is, he is angry. 
I think Jesus is like, like me trying to help my daughter with her math homework. I think he's exasperated, right? That's a whole different, and, and we don't get tone of voice, but, but I think that would, be, that would be Peter's tone relating this story to Mark, who's writing it down. Man, I've tried, I've tried everything I can to get these people to understand. Would you please understand, right? That's the tone of voice. How easy can I make it for you? How simple can I make it for you? I, I just want you to understand. It's interesting that he quotes this, uh, this passage out of Isaiah because the good scholars of the day would know that while he's quoting Isaiah 6, there is some conspicuous points that are absent. So sometimes in Scripture, Jesus, it, it is the thing that Jesus doesn't say that is, is supposed to get our attention. And because you're good, awesome Bible scholars, you knew that this is Isaiah. Do you know what's missing? Look at this passage from Isaiah. Look what it says. This is where Jesus is getting this idea. Yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Was that in there? Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their, what's the word? Hearts. And turn to me for healing. What did Jesus leave out of his quote in Mark? Heart. The reason they don't understand the parables of Jesus isn't because they, they need new batteries in their hearing aid. The reason they're not understanding the parables of Jesus isn't because they, they are dim-witted or dull of mind. What's broken in them is not their ears or their mind. It is their heart. The reason they cannot receive the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, no matter how easy Jesus tries to explain it, is because they have a heart condition. Are you with me? The condition for you to understand the parables of Jesus. The, 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 the key, the necessary thing required for you to understand the teaching of Jesus, the necessary thing required for you to understand the good news of Jesus Christ, the necessary thing required for you to understand the kingdom of God is your heart. Jesus says you already have everything you need to receive this message. But where's your heart? You remember even last week as we looked at the, the paralyzed man who's lowered down the front row, the scouting party from the, from the synagogue is, standing, is sitting right there on the front row and they're thinking to their, they're, they're, they're having these thoughts of only God can forgive sins. And Jesus reads their thoughts. Remember this from last week? Jesus reads their thoughts and what's he say? Why do you question in your hearts. 
So now let's look at the parable. Let's read it again. In chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. Listen, he says. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. And as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said to them, and he says to us, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Do you understand? Jesus says this seed is like the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's thrown out there on, onto four kinds of, it's not soil, it's not, it's not four kinds of soil, but he says this seed, the good news of the kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom of God is scattered out onto four kinds of hearts. Are you with me? He said the first heart is, is a hard heart. It's hard and callous, and the word of God, the good news of God, the truth of God can find no entry. Are you with me? So there are some hearts out there that maybe they're not necessarily hostile towards God. They just don't believe that they need it. Jesus says, beware of a hard heart. Jesus goes on to say, the, the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom that, that's available to everyone, sometimes this, this good news falls on, on shallow hearts. The language is this, the, the, not just rocky soil, but it is, it is a thin layer of soil with, with bedrock underneath, okay? So imagine a seed falling on an inch of soil. And man, because the soil is, is shallow, the, the seed takes root and, and quickly produces a, a, a plant, quickly begins to grow. But then when trouble comes or weather comes, it doesn't last. I recently read a quote from somebody that said, um, um, it only takes about 5% of your effort to accept Christ, but it takes 95% of your effort to continue growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. And our churches are filled with people who have committed 5%. Has that been you before? Yeah, absolutely, I accept Christ, but are unwilling to do the things necessary to grow, to develop a deep, lasting, meaningful, rooted kind of faith. Jesus says, watch out for those hard hearts. Jesus says, watch out for those shallow hearts. Maybe it goes in an inch, but you're only going to get an inch of growth out of it. 
then Jesus said maybe the one that, that speaks most to us, most to, to, to Christians, especially North American Christians, the one that speaks most powerfully to us is Jesus. Remember this word of God, it's spread for everyone. It's available to everyone, even on the lake shore. I'll share it with anyone and everyone willing to receive it. But he says, watch out for thorny hearts. Thorny hearts. A thorny heart is um, is a heart that's busy. I've told you before. Maybe one of the most frequent words when I meet with people for counseling, or 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 people are dealing with stuff, or pray with people. One of the most frequent words I hear from our world, from our culture, from our nation is overwhelmed. Well, you know, I've got two kids and I've got soccer practice and we've got, I've got to work late and I'm doing this other stuff and then we're trying to get away and we're, my schedule is just really full. The most frequent thing I ask when, hey, how, how's your week? How's it going? And people say, well, I'm just really busy. And Jesus says, be so cautious of those hearts that are choked out. I think if he was here today, he would speak even bolder and say to you, do you really have time for Christ? Does your schedule allow for it? Have you, have you, have you scheduled a little bit of time on Sunday morning at a building? Or, is, or, or, or have, you, have you created space? Oh, well... Man, congratulations, you do, you do a quiet time for five minutes a day. Praise God for that. I think that's that second kind of soil, actually. Ask yourself, is there room? <laughs> is there room in your heart? Is there room in your schedule to really accept the good news of Jesus Christ, to live it out, for it to flourish in your life? And I don't want to get too much into your business, but this happens a lot. So sometimes we need stuff at the church. Sometimes we do special events. Sometimes we do service stuff. Sometimes we do small groups. And we invite people. You know what a lot of people say? I'm too busy. And I want to say, God, I, I love you. Be so careful because the thorny heart is the heart where the priorities are completely out of line. Right? If you look a little bit further in Jesus' own description in verse 19, it says, um, uh, related to the thorny heart, he says, but all too quickly the message is crowded out. You see that? All the calling and all the hope and all the goodness that comes with the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, all of that is is crowded out by the worries of this life, by the lure of wealth, Franklin, Tennessee, right? And the desire of, for other things, and the result is what? A seed that produces nothing. But there's this one kind. There's this one kind of heart, and Jesus says, this is the one I want for you. It is this good, open heart, a heart that's willing to work a heart that, that, that once the seed is planted, man, incredible 
things can happen. And you know, you can tell if you have this kind of heart because you can tell by the harvest around it. This heart produces more hearts and more hearts and more hearts. And the numbers he uses are ridiculous and radical. 30 times as much as what is planted, 60 times as much as what is planted, 100 times what is planted. And yet that is exactly the kind of heart that Jesus is looking for. One of the next parables he tells is the parable of the mustard seed. Have you heard this one? It's about this tenacious little seed that never gives up. It's the, it's the little engine I could of seeds. You know, I think I can, I think I can. In just a few moments, we're going to enter into a time of communion. We have three stations set up. We're going to invite you to stand up, go to these tables, to commune with our Lord and Savior, to, to take the bread, which represents his body broken for us, to take the cup, which represents his blood poured out for us for, so that we might experience forgiveness and life. And as you commune with him, maybe you need to do some gardening. To look into your own chest, into your own cavity, Let's stop saying, well, Scripture is too hard for me to understand. I need someone to show it to me. That's not what's happening. It isn't the words of Jesus that are, that are convoluted or confusing. It is our own receptors. And I challenge you, as you enter into this time of communion with others, ask yourself, what kind of heart do I have? If God was speaking into my life right now, would, would, it, would it even penetrate Oh, and would it, would it go in just a little bit? Would it be drowned out by everything else? Or would it go deep and produce a harvest of righteousness? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for, for your word, for the example of your son Jesus, just the... I never saw it before. I never saw the Lakeshore thing. I just, I didn't get it. Um, but now I see it, Father God, and I pray that, that that would become who we are as a church, of, that a church that is constantly going out with this, on this mission of church, not, not just coming to, to an address or a destination. Let us seek to serve others in the same way you did. And Father God, cultivate in us the, uh, the good heart deep, rich soil. God, I know it's possible every person in here has the potential to, to hear this message and have that kind of heart. And maybe right now, God, they're just drowning because life is so full and busy and their priorities are out of whack. And so, Father God, even now in this space, I ask that you would redeem those hearts, that you would call them back, help them into the hard work of, of weeding out the things that are keeping us from, from living out our one and true purpose, from, from understanding and entering the mysterious kingdom you've invited us to. And Father God, I pray for hard hearts. The hard hearts, frankly, God, they're probably not even here today because this isn't a space they need. They don't recognize their need for you. And so, Father God, I, I pray that that would be the hearts that we pursue this week, that each of us would go out and, and try to soften some hearts so that your word and truth could enter. 
Maybe they could come to a place where realizing that their own strength and their own power and their own willfulness won't, won't be enough, but they'll come to a place of needing you and depending on you. And Father, God, I pray for the shallow hearts. God, that's been me before. It's, it's been me. It's easy to be shallow. It's easy to have the appearance of, 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 of a Christian, of a follower, of someone who's entered your kingdom. It's easy just to kind of uh, go through the numbers and pretend, but God, you know our hearts. You see deep down, and we know the truth. It's when the storm comes, God, a shallow heart will, will never prevail. So Father God, wherever we're at in this, in this series of, of hearts and messages, in your words, God, as they penetrate into us, God, I pray that you would do a work on all of us, that we would do the tough work of cultivating, creating space for you in our lives. Father God, we do this because um, your son is the good news. Uh, he's still good news even today. So Father God, as we say this prayer, we enter this time of communion, and we remember your son and his sacrifice for us. And it's in his name that everyone together says, Amen.